So today on The Lady Voice, we want to talk about the demands of motherhood, stress, and the lady voice. How do we break through to freedom in this individualistic, capitalistic system? And how does dismantling the lady voice free us from that and allow us to mother from a place of power, not depletion? Welcome to the Lady Voice Podcast. Dismantle the patriarchy in your mind with Danielle and Jenny. This idea of generational curses. Have you ever heard that term? Yeah. I don't believe in curses. But I'm like, are, is a generational curse a generational mindset? I mean, that is a curse. The women in my family, it's this mindset. It's such a lack mindset, it's such a poverty mindset, it's such a limited mindset. They love their kids, but they hate their kids. Their resources are always depleted. They're always at zero. None of them ask for their needs to be met. None of them even have awareness around this idea that you could have needs and that you could ask for your needs to be met. There's no understanding of self. My mom is definitely a part of that mindset, but she got into the self-help world. Like she never really applied it to her life. It's like, she's just applying the language, but not the action where that language became a part of our life, me and my sister. And so we started applying the action too. But I think having these ideas introduced early on, I was like, yeah, you don't have to accept your life for what it is being shown right now. Like whatever it is that you're feeling right now, it does not have to be it. If I have resources for myself, if I can meet my own needs, then I have a well of reserve to give to my dependents. And and that is what is missing in my family. Like there's no space for women in my family to be individuals. The women in my family are mothers. They're not seen as people who have needs. You know, it's like this idea that like your needs are getting met through motherhood. The really disempowered approach to parenting and partnering. But that is the generational mindset that I have inherited (laughs) and am working through. There's such a fantasy around child rearing in our culture. We just have this fantasy about the baby and the baby isn't a human. The baby is like the baby (laughs) having the baby, but then the baby gets here. And I know so many women It's like two worlds colliding, the fantasy that they had about the baby, but the reality of having the baby, I think it's really a shock. It's not something that can be prepared for, really. And I mean, culturally, we're not preparing ourselves for it. You know, we don't see birth. We don't like pay attention to it. It's not something that we really honor culturally or traditionally. It's like, you know how last week we're talking about there are two sides of the same coin, monogamy, non-monogamy. I think it's the same for like stay-at-home mom, not stay-at-home mom. You know what I mean? Like the the mom who's like diving in entirely into this like 
you know, I'm a mom. And then the other side of that coin is like, I am out of here. I'm hiring a babysitter. I don't want to do this. You know, it's the same thing. It's like, we're all living in this context that's super isolated and we all have our mechanisms to like try to survive through that. And I just wish that it wasn't about survival. And I think that's what I am interested in talking about related to motherhood is like, we are in so much of a survival state around parenting and and caretaking. Like it doesn't have to be that way, but like economically, we're kind of, it's kind of like forced upon us, you know, in a way. Culturally, we could develop a way to support one another around it that would totally like shift us like into a more integrated kind of motherhood where the process is more respected. It's not about like, okay, timeline, you know, three months and you're good. If we could just start having this conversation around actual needs being met, not just going to get a coffee for an hour with a friend, not just like mom group once a week have a conversation that's about the deeper layers of things of like are we actually being supportive supported in like this really integrated way in our lives to like raise these humans in a way we're not constantly depleted right and we're dependent on a government as if the government's going to protect us we make sure that you have three months paid leave and that's good like because we've said yeah (laughs) oh my god I I can't. <laughs> so overwhelming. It was canceled less than a year after being. It's done. No, no more paid leave. That's over. It kind of goes back to like six weeks. You can have sex. Three months. You can just go back to life. Who set this time frame? It's not real. None of it's real. There's no awareness of human needs. We're not supposed to parent alone. Women historically have never parented alone. We've always been parenting with other women. And it's only in the expansion of colonialism and this idea of space that the U.S. offered that women started getting more and more isolated in their parenting. And you also see a correlation in mental health statistics, like not just for women, but for offspring individualism at this level and isolation at this level is a huge mental health crisis. The mindset's so hard to address because it's all you've ever known your whole life. So you believe it's true. You believe this is the only mindset that there is. And we find what's familiar in life and we find other people with the same mindset. It's really hard to break out of a generational mindset. We marry someone with the same mindset typically. We kind of just get in a group and we stay in a group. And that's the mindset. I was a doula before I had a baby. And I saw, I would go into people's houses postpartum. And the people who were doing well, who had just had babies, were the ones who had a lot of people around them, supporting them. And the ones who were like pretty damn depressed were the ones who were alone or just with their spouse or partner. So I knew that going into having a baby. I knew what I wanted. I was living in California at the time. I traveled to Seattle so that I could have a baby close to family and be supported by home birth midwives. I had everything I needed and wanted for like two months. And then I had to go back where I was super isolated. So I think that's the other layer of this. 
I don't think it's just about like, oh, I'm going to develop a community. Are you supported even in that idea in the first motherhood episode about like how we are first loyal to our partners, even before our children? It's almost like we are parenting them. And so in the energy it takes to do that, I'm going to be more loyal to like my partner who's in isolation with me at the time. And that takes my energy away from anything I could be doing to attend to my own health and community. Like if I were leading the way, the community would have stayed there the entire time and it still would not be gone. Like it would still be how it was when I started. I left like in complete, like total breakdown in tears. It felt like this like root that was way deep down, like all the way down here, like into my womb, just got like, like ripped out of my body. And it was the most awful feeling of my life. Like getting into the car and like going back to California and like leaving my, my home with my newborn baby. It was so awful, but like my loyalty first was my marriage. (laughs) This is lady voice. I'm loyal to my marriage before I'm loyal to myself. What would it have been like if I had said, I am not leaving? Maybe I would have been the leader in that, you know, and he he would have followed. Like, I don't know. But like, that didn't even enter my mind as an option to say no. That did not even enter my mind. It was like to be a good mother, to be a good wife, to be a good human. I have to do this. In the end, I was like, super depressed for like three years the heart of it is like where are we abandoning ourselves i think i I was told this when i was getting married like no matter what your partner comes first you know over anyone else over your kids and i was also told you know because no man's gonna want to stay with you if you're more loyal to your kids think about that one lady who's like emotionally incestuous with her child (laughs) it's like you've got two options you could be a total (laughs) creep to your kid because you're not getting your needs met from your partner. You start having your child meet the needs that your partner should be meeting, you know, enmeshment to a really serious degree, sometimes called emotional incest, putting way too much on your kid. So there's that extreme here, or it's like, ignore your kids when it comes down to your husband's needs. There's nowhere in the middle. (laughs) Like deny everything. That's where the idea of like having kids in the box of an objectified relationship is so detrimental to everybody. Like what I saw is like the judging of mothers in my family. So like super traditional. My mom's at home with us all day, just going through it for kids. Her partner comes home at night and now... She's like under this magnifying glass. My stepdad never took care of the kids. He never had any responsibility with the children, but he had a lot of opinions about how it was supposed to be done. So there was just so much pressure when he would come home and my mom, she'd just be at her wit's end, you know, like the pressure of parenting four kids in a day and then having her partner come home. I think my stepdad even said it. He's like, why does everyone like run away when I walk in the door? (laughs) Now his job is to come home and make sure that the home is being run properly. 
And he was going to definitely criticize like what my mom had or had not been doing. Most of us want to say, oh, we're not in that relationship anymore, or we're not doing that thing, that classic, you know, traditional structure. But it's like, we're all informed by that. Like it's, even if the actions are different, the face value of it is different. Like we're all still informed. Like it's embodied in all of us. We all still feel it. You're a lucky one if your parents raised you a little bit differently because you're one generation out maybe, you know, but like still as a society that is dominant as the dominant force like in our systems to keep operating that way. Even if it's like, oh, the dad, stay at home dad and she's going to work. It's like, there's still layers. There's still those things that we like embody in ourselves that like, even if the outside looks different. It's a generational mindset. You aren't that far away from your grandma's experience. That's real. (laughs) So we know like epigenetically, we know that like your grandma's experience has a huge impact on the way your nervous system is operating on a daily basis. So uh, the studies on epigenetics are really fascinating. And there was some really interesting case studies done in Europe because we have really extreme events that happened in Europe that would have been two generations back. So you're looking at World War II and what happened in the different countries. We can actually look at um, like famine influence. We can look at just like the stress of war. We can look at like the stress of um, genocide all of these different factors that are so brutal. And you can see these different pockets of like way people were affected. And you can see the generational fallout of that. It was the most amazing study ever done on epigenetics. And 100% of the time, your grandmother's experience had a huge impact on your life, on your health, on what genes got activated in you, you know, it's like, it's super profound. So your grandmother's experience is affecting you. You have a generational mindset in your body. And if you think back and it's your maternal grandmother, genes are passed down maternally. And so you need to look at what was happening for your maternal grandmother, what happened in her life. It is affecting you just because you're making different choices doesn't mean that feeling isn't in you somewhere and it comes out and you're like, Oh my God, I'm being my mom. You're also being your grandma. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's important to like, not just push those feelings away, get curious about why are you being your mom right now? What about the situation is pushing you over an edge and what might've been happening for your mom? Like, I don't have a good relationship with my mom and it's not saying this isn't letting her off the hook trying to understand the bigger picture for yourself so that you can change the way you're meeting your own needs. So my son said something to me going to bed last night that like really struck me. And then I reflected on a lot today, actually like related to this conversation. He said, mom, you look mad. And I was like, Oh, I don't feel mad. I'm just like, we're like laying in bed. And I was like, I'm just sleepy. You know, I'm just sleepy. I'm just closing my eyes, you know? I was like, you said that before though. Like, do I always look mad? He's like, yeah, you are like always mad. I'm like, oh, I don't feel mad. He's like, yeah, you're just kind of a mad mom. And I was like, oh, like, 
I don't feel mad. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think I'm not like angry. Right. He's like, no, you're not angry. Just like kind of mad. And I think what he meant is like stressed, you know, like <laughs> operating. I'm like operating a lot. I was like, what would be, you know, what would you like to see be different? And he was like, I want you to be a happy mom. And like, I can say I'm like way better today than I was when I was still married a year and a half ago. Like I'm feeling so much better now, but like there's still an edge in me. I don't feel depleted anymore, but I do feel like it's always available. (laughs) The depletion (laughs) is always available right there. If I like don't attend to myself, like really rigidly what's going on now externally is like I am preparing to be his full-time parent 24-7 while my co-parent leaves town I have been like terrified I have been terrified of my like what I've like structured for myself to take care of myself I'm terrified of all of that crumbling and breaking down so I have been more stressed lately I'm like kind of preparing myself for like to be hit by the train, which I've already hit myself with the train by preparing for it. But, <laughs> but I was just, I was, I woke up this morning and I sat with my coffee in the dark on my couch. I was just like thinking about that. I was like, what do I need? Like, how could I be a happy mom for my kid? You know? And I was just like, I could just lean into him all the way. Like I could just surrender. I could say yes to all of this. I could be like so present. Like I my only goal could be like so much presence to him and just let that be what it is. And you were talking last week, I think, about like the privilege of being able to do things like that, you know. My privilege in doing that is like I have a pretty flexible job, you know, where I work from home. I get to take him to school in the mornings. I get, you know. I have a mom around who's helping me, you know, if I need it or like, um, I have a, a, a lot that's like set up for me to be able to be present. Oftentimes it's not about like, what more do I need to do here? You know, it's like, I could feel myself and my joy for him this morning when he woke up and like my playfulness with him this morning was because I had that like moment of surrender, like of surrendering to just like, I have no control <laughs> over like my self-care practices, you know, <laughs> they're like, or protecting my life or like, you know, my freedom or whatever. It's like, that's all out the window. Like all I can do is surrender and be in presence to him. And when I do that, or I, when I can tap into that place, then I feel like I can laugh with him, you know, and feel like play with him and feel the joy with him. and. That I think, like what he's asking for. I think it's really empowering for him that he can have this conversation with you and not be like punished. (laughs) If you don't have awareness around your needs, it's self exploration. These aren't things that are taught. Where are you going to figure this out at, you know, like this isn't a conversation that is happening for an 18 year old, 18. You're like, I need to figure out what I'm going to do now that I'm a grown up, create a path for the next 45 years of my life, (laughs) like get on this track. You know, there's no, like, what are your needs? How do you feel? There's more important things than just like visualizing the house you want to buy down the road. 
I work with uh, college age students sometimes, and this is like a meditation that we do. It's like, what do you want your life to feel like? Stop thinking only what you want it to look like. What do you want your life to feel like? That's accessible right now. It's a way to start a conversation with yourself. Really put yourself in a track that's maybe for your greatest experience. Like if you can start feeling that, you start feeling when your life doesn't feel that way. And that can be a way to navigate like really tough experiences. Creating a relationship with yourself is so vital, but it is not taught in school. It is not taught in homes. It is not taught even in the self-help community. Self-help communities are reinforcing trauma to like capitalize on trauma. It's you taking the reins on this. That's really overwhelming, especially coming out of a very disempowered family life. The feeling I want to have, like somehow I started having that conversation with myself really early. Like I want my life to feel a certain way. And like, I can't even imagine how that's possible. I just believed in the feeling. It was like having moments of experiencing it. And so I just kept following that feeling and that became my guidepost. It wasn't about chasing dollars. It wasn't about chasing a career. It was about chasing a feeling. That is the feeling I have access to on a very regular basis now, but it was so far away. I think that's why I started having a conversation really early on with internalized objectification, because what I realized was being an objectified woman, being an objectified mother, like the limitations of that, even if you're like lucky enough to start breaking out of these boxes, like we're still constantly bombarded with images, ideas, like strangers' opinions. How to break away from all of these conversations and like get in touch with yourself. It's, I think it becomes really intense internalized practices. Like, I'll say it again, meditation. <laughs> Just, I, I feel like when people are like, you need to start meditating. I was like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I'm not going to do that. That's like, it just felt like so dumb to me. That is the only way to describe it. When people are like, you need to start meditating. I was like, so I just sit and, and become nothing. I was like, what? So meditation in this context is creating space for you to have awareness internally. I like meditating when I'm feeling really stressed out. Like, where does this feeling live in my body? <laughs> and why? And for how long? And to be really curious. It's like, be your own journalist. Like, who, what, when, where, why? Like, when did this start? When is the first time you remember feeling this feeling? Who triggers this feeling in you? Like. What events trigger this feeling? Why do you believe this? You know, and just getting curious. It's not about not being you. I feel like the self-help industry is about you not being you. Here's a tool and you will not be you anymore. And that's really abusive, I think. And I think we do want to escape ourselves a lot. So it's easy to get lured down this path of like, here's a quick fix follow these exact 12 steps and you will not be you tomorrow. 
It's actually, I think the opposite. It's about being curious about who are you? You don't know. If you're being objectified, you don't know who you are in this place. You might have a really good idea of who you are over here. Then you come into this space and lady voice land. I feel like not a lot of us are aware of who we are in this place because we're really conditioned to be objects. And even if you're like, I'm not an object because I've started having this conversation. I bet if you went a little bit deeper, you would still find this place that's extremely insecure and very much needing to have positive reinforcement from another person telling you that you're doing a good job and in terms of partnering, mothering, and, you know, whatever other context of objectification. And that's not saying that like you want positive reinforcement from others is objectification. It's not, it's just how you need it and how you're willing to like attune and deny yourself to be accepted by this person that you're putting above you. You know, what happens if we just start changing the conversation in partnerships? Like definitely there's going to be chaos. (laughs) There's going to be chaos. (laughs) If all of us did it, what happens? Do men catch up? I'm like, maybe. They do. They do. And we come together and we do have our needs met. And then the the conversation is balanced. Right. And there are men who want to have this conversation. That's the thing. If you're with a partner who does want to have this conversation, have this conversation. Like keep pushing this conversation deeper. Liberate all of us. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> like everyone having this conversation really matters. We are a collective, <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah, we are more like slime mold than not like slime mold. And if you don't know about slime mold, look up on YouTube the TED Talk on slime mold. And it's really worth watching. But slime mold is a a bunch of single-celled organisms that just exist in soil. When they are ready to reproduce, they join together, (laughs) dissolve their cell wall, become one unit of slime, and travel to eat and find like the best space to reproduce. Once they're done reproducing, they go back to being individual cells. Like, (laughs) So in that way, we're not exactly slime mold, but we are very much connected on this collective scale and we have no idea how slime mold is able to communicate individually or collectively when together. That's us. We, one person breaks free, it creates space for more people to break free, break through. And we just all need to be pushing this conversation. Generational mindset. We just keep pushing through this conversation of motherhood in your mind or like the partnership conversation. Like, be a bad partner. Be a bad partner if it means you're being loyal to yourself and see what that feels like. There are really great. It feels so good. (laughs) There's abusive situations and I do not want to minimize that. Like that is a different kind of conversation. But if you're not in an abusive context, question these things, like really push through these things. What would happen if like the next generation of girls, women coming up just didn't have to have this conversation anymore. Like what's the next conversation that's available? I love what you were saying about that meditation. Like, and that could be, if we were to choose like a simple takeaway for this podcast, like, how do you want to feel like that question is so 
huge. It's so revolutionary, I think, actually, because if you're growing up in this like context where you're supposed to like be certain things for other people, then you're never asking yourself that question. Like I never asked myself that question. And even when I think about that question, like in this moment, it kind of makes me teary. You know what I mean? Like, how do I want to feel versus like all these things I need to check off or do, or, and you know, we're talking about like the self-help culture. It's like, what can I do to change my life? What can I do, 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 you know, what can I, what actions can I take? And it's like, I really think the heart of it is the feeling, like the movement toward the feeling. And I also think that's less threatening, you know, like, I think it's overwhelming to think like, we don't need to do any more than we're already doing. We, we've all grown up in like this capitalistic society where we're always producing, we're always doing something. So there's, that is like the opposite of what needs to happen. It's like, what needs to happen is to move into the feeling, like how do we want to feel? And that will dismantle the things that produce feelings that are against how you want to feel. And so that's, I think, where it feels risky and sort of revolutionary is like, if you can actually entertain, if we can actually entertain that question, it's going to break down relationships that aren't bringing that feeling into our lives. And maybe the truth emerges between two people and there's like a new place found of that that contains that feeling or offers that feeling or maybe it is the dissolution of that relationship like if we could all like move our energy in that direction (laughs) slime mold like you know Mm -hmm. like move our energy in that direction of how we want to feel then I think this is what's really going to change the world (laughs) this is the work like when people are like do the work (laughs) (laughs) Are you doing the work? I'm doing the work. This is the work. The work is to liberate yourself, to own your shit. Your internalized objectification makes you a really unsafe person to yourself, to people around you, to your children. Like internalized objectification is not benefiting you in any way. And it's making you disloyal to a lot of people and in moments to your partner because your partner is not objectifying you the right way. Like you have an idea of how you want to be objectified, but it's also your prison. You know, it's allowing someone to have control over you in this really subtle, like almost non-observable way. It's like an invisible spider web around you, you know? And so you're like kind of moving in it, but you feel really trapped and you don't know where to go to do the work. <laughs> truly is to liberate yourself. And by liberating yourself, you're liberating other people. And you can't love like this idea of love, live, love, love. And like, love is not right. (laughs) All of these things, like none of that can be true if you are not free. We're objectified in so many ways culturally. It's not just as women being hot, fuckable moms who are like super great at their job, but also like the soccer mom, like, you have it all, you know, that like bullshit. The supermodel I'm on, she was like, that's not real. The idea that a woman can have it all isn't real. She's like, someone's getting hurt in that. <laughs> I was like, yes, girl. Yep. Yes. I love that you said that. Um, yeah. 
someone, a lot of people, everyone's getting hurt in that conversation, but you have to liberate you and you have to go in and do that work and you will be doing it not just for you, but for your kids. You're changing the generational mindset you were born into. Creating a relationship with this space and it's important. It's the, it is the most important thing we'll ever do in our lives. It's the only thing that matters on this like big scale. If you want to contribute to the world, change this place. I think, I think motherhood is like an invitation to go deep there because it is the most throw you to the ground. Like, can you survive? <laughs> like is the most like destructive feeling. Oh, what am I? Who am I? I'm exhausted. I'm not sleeping. Like that's the kind of thing that pushes you into these kinds of questions. I think when you don't have that kind of disruption in your life, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be like parenting or whatever, but you know, like that is like a pretty consistent, so many people have this experience, push you up against the wall opportunity to like move into the next layer of this question rather than self-help it and go to mom club. (laughs) 